I'm Julian Brandt and you're listening to Scouted Chats. Hello everyone and welcome to Scouted Sets. As the official audio production of Scouted Football, we focus on players under the age of 23, but occasionally ramble on other topics across the beautiful game. Thanks for listening to our third episode of the 2017-18 campaign. I'm your host, Jack Grimsey, flanked by Connor Garrett and Stephen Genevis. Guys, I wasn't here for last episode, but it was great. We had interviews with Matt Santangelo and John Solano talking about Serie A, and it was really informative, and this week Serie A kicked off as well as the Bundesliga, as well as La Liga, so it's uh, it's exciting. The, the league season's finally back. Uh, yeah, it's really awesome to have Serie A back, especially for me. Um, AC Milan have been a real story over the last few months, and it was awesome to, to see them getting into action, firstly with the Europa League, where they dominated the uh, Macedonian's uh, side, Skidinia. Uh, Andre Silva scored a nice brace in that game, and, and they were really impressive. And then they continued that form uh, onto the weekend against Crotone. Frank Hessier in particular was a standout in that game, as well as the midweek game in the Europa League. Uh, AC Milan's manager, Montella, was, was very... Uh, had high praise for him after the game and just said that he'd made a, a much bigger impact than he'd even expected when he signed him, even even though he had high expectations of him in, in the beginning. Uh, so, yeah, Milana off to a great start. Cutrone uh, from their uh, youth academy as well uh, scored and had uh, got an assist, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, but all the all the teams in Serie A really started off with a bang, pretty much, except for Roma. Juventus won 3-0 uh, against Cagliari, uh, with Dybala scoring. Uh, Milik came back from his ACL injury for Napoli, and they won 3-1. Uh, and then uh, Lazio were pretty much the only real losers. They drew uh, with the newly promoted team Spal, uh, and Roma kind of struggled a little bit against Atalanta, but, but Serie A is back with a bang, and it's great to have great to have all the leagues back and running for the new season. Yeah, Steve, uh, Patrick Cutrone scored and assisted two against Crotone, so everybody... Get those names straight for Serie A, like Spall, they're back, or excuse me, no, they're not back, they're up for the first time in their history, so it's an exciting time in Italy. Wait, so am I, am I hearing that right? Uh, Catrone scored against Crotone and set up two, so basically all you have to do in Serie A to be good is to sound a bit like the team you're playing. Is there anyone <laughs> named anyone named Spall or... Uh... Spalletti, uh, Inter's yeah. manager, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> So if things aren't going well in that game, he can sub himself on, and that'll be uh, <laughs> good. I mean, you you used to have Mancini and Man City, and you have uh, Arsenal, and of course, Arsene Wenger. We're going to talk a little bit about the Premier League, first return of the Bundesliga, and Heroes, Zeros, some games to watch for the week, and that's all coming up in just a second. But first, a word from our sponsor. Before we continue with the rest of the show, we'd just like to throw a quick word out for our sponsor, footballshirtmemory.co.uk. They've got an awesome wide range of shirts, including match-worn jerseys from some of the more obscure leagues in the world. Uh, if they don't have what you're after, uh, just send them a quick email. They'll go source whatever you want. Uh, and also use the code SCOUTED at the checkout for 5% off your order. All right, so yeah, thanks to Football Shirt Memory for their support and remember you can check them out on twitter they have some pretty cool stuff from what i've seen and back in Serie A, napoli are playing some playing some pretty cool stuff under sari winning 3-1 at the weekend arkadiusz milik scoring in that game yeah napoli have been really impressive uh there are a lot of people's favorites heading into the new season and, and with good reason uh they've 
not sold any big names like last year when they lost Higuain and they've really consolidated their squad over the summer. Uh, I also heard uh, rumours of a lot of their players returning to training early just to get themselves right, really fit and firing for the start of the season and to really put pressure on Juventus from the, from the opening weekend, which which they have done. They've kept up speed so far. Uh, their squad's a lot deeper than it has been in, in past seasons as well, where they've really kind of faded away when they had a really good title challenge uh, going on, especially two seasons ago. Uh, but yeah, they're looking really impressive. Milik, it was great to see him back and, and firing. Um, but they've just got so many options now. They With Dries Mertens and and Kellyon, and they've just got a lot of firepower. Um, and they're also dispelling this myth of boring, boring defensive Serie A as well. So uh, if you haven't watched them yet out there, don't know what you're waiting for. They're playing Nice uh, midweek in the Champions League uh, at home, and it's going to be a really, really good chance to to see them strut their stuff on the European stage. Yeah, and they added a... They didn't really need to add to that front three of Callejon, Mertens, and Insigne. It's insane. And, of course, uh, past master Jorginho behind and Metacamp-Sheet. You know, it's it's a really good team. But they did add uh, Adam Unas, I think, the, the 20-year-old Algerian. Yeah. I think he will be important for them as a rotation player if they're going to be in the Champions League. They look like they're going to go through after beating Nice. What three nil away? Three nil at the, or excuse me, two nil at the Stadio San Paolo. Yeah, and it also looks like they might potentially be picking up Zinchenko from uh, Man City as well. So yeah, they just got a lot of a lot of depth that they didn't have in previous seasons. Uh, two years ago, when they were had that big lead early in the season over Juventus, they just couldn't keep it up for that thirty-eight game uh, title push as Juventus descended from the heavens to to pull away in the in the last few weeks of the season. But uh yeah, all round there are a lot of people's favourites for the title and with good reason with Juventus struggling early on in the season. Well we say struggling early on, they've started the actual league season quite well, haven't they? Yeah, they they played quite well on the weekend, uh with the three 0 win. Uh Pjanic was really exceptional. ninety five percent pass accuracy, a lovely assist. Uh and but and now it looks like Juventus have also uh, move to really make those reinforcements that they they need to make in midfield. They signed uh, uh, Matuidi from PSG, and then uh, looks like they'll be uh, getting uh, fullback Spinazzola back uh, from his loan at Atalanta a year early. And uh, there's some rumours coming out today that uh, they're looking for another midfielder before before the window closes, and that uh, Renato Sanchez from from Bayern is is one of the main targets. So that could be an interesting move because. Uh, there's a, a a big need for a, a really uh, powerful presence in midfield that can uh, really push the team forward. And I think Sanchez showed uh, prior to last season where he kind of struggled for game time that uh, he's really uh, he's a really vertical player. He always pushes the game forward, not too much backwards or sideways. Uh, and that's something that Juventus really lack. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Steady House kind of like the Premier League this year in the way that there's kind of six teams that are really challenging for the title. And I know everyone everyone keeps saying it at work, but it's not your grandfather's Steady or It's not your father's Steady It's not about locking the door with Catanaccio. It's about scoring goals, and there's a lot of teams that can do it. Yeah, Roma, Inter, Milan, Juventus, they all got really, and Napoli, of course, will have really potent attacks. Um, you saw last year with the with the... Uh, Capo Canoniere race where it was 
Icardi, Higuain, Dzeko, Mertens, all, all, all vying for the, for the title of, of the best score in Serie A. So just, yeah, just that firepower. Every, every team's got a big 20-goal uh, season striker they can count on. Even Lazio with Immobile uh, had a fantastic season last year and it started with a bang this year in, in the Super Cup. Um, so, yeah, just goal scorers everywhere, really. Yeah, there were there were three strikers with more than 25 goals and six with more than 20. So, you know, it's crazy. The goals are going in there. You know, when Zlatan was there in his autobiography, he talks about 15 goals in Serie A as a good season. Yeah, but it's, it's really kind of opened up in, in recent seasons. Probably the gap between those top six teams and, and the rest of the pack has probably widened quite a lot in the last two or three seasons as well. The uh, promoted teams have been... Uh, quite uncompetitive, so probably a little bit more space in some of those um, those easier fixtures for for strikers to to fill up their boots. Yeah, yeah, but it it is entertaining, and let's move on to a league that we we know for almost for goal scoring prowess. And the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich last year they won their opener six nil. The year before it was five nil. It was only three one and against Bayer Leverkusen, and Leverkusen ended up putting up a pretty good fight. But debut goal for Niklas Sula and Quentin Tolisso. By that time, it was over for Leverkusen, you know. Yeah, I think if you talk about instant gratification for signing some new players, um, obviously Nicolas Sula and Corentin Tolisso joining in the summer is great, but Nicolas Sula's goal was also set up by a very nice free kick by uh, Sebastian Rudy. I think some of us were a little bit surprised to see him starting eleven so soon, um, having made the move in the summer. Um, but, yeah, I think all round, first, first half performance by Bayern was very, very strong. Um it almost looked a little bit like, I mean, obviously Leverkusen are supposedly of a better class than Werder Bremen, but last season Bremen played uh, Bayern on the opening day and just got absolutely washed away. And it looked for for a time at least that that was going to happen, but much better second half performance. Um, I think definitely coincided with the uh, introduction of our best friend Julian Brandt. Yeah, Julian Brandt uh, introduced in the second half. He was re- really quite good and, of course... Still doing the intro for a scout, it says so. Good to see him doing well at Leverkusen. But he didn't start the match, and I, th- I think that's going to change in the future. Yeah, I heard rumours that it was just to do with sort of his condition after getting back late from the Confederations Cup. Um, I don't know how true that is, um, but it would maybe make a bit of sense, um, considering that, yeah, a lot of uh, Bayern's main stars didn't seem to be firing, and it was, yeah, the younger guys... Um, I mean, some of them who had been at the tournament as well, but, you know, it it was, I don't know, it, not necessarily like your full-strength Bayern against your full-strength Leverkusen. So it's interesting to see that, but I, I think we all knew that it wasn't going to be one of the highlights of the weekend. And I think ultimately that came on Saturday night as we tipped last last, last week on the podcast um, with Schalke against Erbe Leipzig, um, which was uh, just a fantastic game. Um Leipzig obviously lost their first game of the season and in the first game of the season that didn't happen until December last year and it's almost I think what we have to say here is Dominic Tedesco did an absolutely fantastic job um, and yeah Naval Benteleb and uh, Yevhen Konoplyanka they're both players that were at the club last season um, but yeah um, especially Konoplyanka seemed to have a bit of a new lease of life Benteleb very good performance just generally and um, and yeah, it's obviously never easy to beat Leipzig, even at home. 
Um, but yeah, they sort of made quite light work of it in the end. Yeah, like you said, Dominic Tedesco, give him a lot of credit. Shaka, they've been, it's been a revolving door of managers there, merry-go-round for years, but there are a lot of good parts still, despite you know a lot of their, their great youngsters leaving. But if he can get the most out of a good squad, I think they could qualify for the Champions League next year. Anyway, and at Leipzig, it was their first first loss of the year, like you said, December 10th, the week before they lost to Ingolstadt. It was the game when Timo Werner dove at um, the Veltins Arena in Gelsenkirchen. So, <laughs> needless to say, Schalke, Schalke no. fans were loving it. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw, um, there was a big thing uh, in the German media about how Schalke had left uh, Timo Werner's profile on like the stadium PA system blanked out so like they have pictures of every player in the league so that you can like yeah I don't know it says like, oh Naby Keita there's a picture of Naby Keita uh, for the picture of Timo Werner there was just a just a blank sort of generic person oh like picture. the ones on was... <laughs> on Twitter when it's the league on lineups and they're saying the the faceless men like Game of Thrones because it's the blank model one of those <laughs> yeah, basically, it was the 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 Raymond for Hyen of, uh... <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that was that was sort of a nice little bit of sly banter from Schalke. Um, I don't know. And the other thing I found interesting, sort of during the week, was um, the fact that Tedesco dropped um, club legend Benny Herbert as his captain and replaced him with Ralph Fairman, which. I don't know, I think based on sort of recent level, maybe makes sense because Fairman's been absolutely fantastic for them for the past couple of years. Um, and uh, I don't know, Hervid is sort of maybe living a little bit on past glories now at the moment. Um, but yeah, he, he, he didn't, he didn't play against Leipzig. Yeah, I mean, it seems sort of that he may be on his way out. We don't know. So obviously he's not a very young player anymore, but um, an inter- interesting sort of approach. If it works, then that's a very, very bold call. If it doesn't work, then you can be like, well, this is probably one of the decisions that has cost Tedesco in the long run. Um, so we'll be able to keep tabs on that throughout the season. Yeah, but most importantly, though, he played Weston McKinney, who is an 18-year-old American. It was the second Bundesliga game he's played, and he got 13 minutes in a game, oh, the final game of the season last year, but got on the pitch again. So, you know, another American coming through in the Bundesliga came on for 11 minutes. Those stars and stripes really represented in the Bundesliga. Yeah. You guys, you guys, d- yeah, did you is... get the hint? Yeah, I know. I was, I was just going to say, you know, the stars and stripes were doing brilliantly uh, in the red, white, and gold at the weekend because over in uh, in Dortmund, um, well, it was in Wolfsburg, but over at Schalke's <laughs> rival club Dortmund, um, <laughs> a young American was making waves. Christian Pulisic with a goal and an assist, a very nice goal to open the scoring, and a very nice assist to continue the scoring. Um, Wolfsburg looks rattled. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about that length, uh, Jack. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, probably the most delicious thing to come out of Hershey, Pennsylvania on Saturday. That's even including all the all the <laughs> chocolate they make there. You know, good uh, candy banter. You know, Cadbury. Familiar with that? Cadbury's in Birmingham as a Villa fan. So <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, Pulisic scored the <laughs> second quickest game, second quickest goal of the Bundesliga Saturday games and great control firing it across the the area to the far post and had everybody of course talking about it on Twitter and everybody in American soccer so new season and everyone's already fired up about him. Uh, shall we talk about other Americans in Germany? John I'm Brooks. led to believe that Hadji Wright uh, who's 
on loan from Schalke to Sandhausen scored against Dunamo Dresden at the weekend. So, not going to add any insight to that. But oh, that's if exciting. you wanted to know that, you, then you now do. So, yeah, he's 18 as well, very young, talented prospect. And, yeah, obviously making it out on the road in Sandhausen, who are a good club for sort of developing players. And so I think Andrew Wooten is there as well. So a few American players. So if you are American, you want to get into the German second flight, then uh, look no further. Right? Yeah, I know there is going to be a little more coverage of it by uh, both the Bundesliga official channel and I think of Fox by Fox this year. But um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not, sh- I'm not 100% on this. I think Wright debuted with McKinney last year in, uh, on the final day of the Bundesliga season. But and what about those Aussies in the Bundesliga as well? Matthew Leckie, dominating. Yeah, yeah, I had to Berlin, got a, a win on the opening day. I don't know about them. I don't, how do you think they're going to do this year, Connor? Um, I find it difficult to see them above mid-table. I think if you look at you look at the underlying numbers from Saturday's game against Stuttgart, and you're, obviously you're playing a newly promoted team, a team that are that obviously mostly, generally an established Bundesliga club, but they pretty much um, like got dominated. They, they didn't get dominated by Stuttgart, but neither team created a huge amount of chances. I think, in terms of like XG, um, like Hertha created a lot less than Stuttgart, and Stuttgart were just very profligate. Hertha scored like their two really good chances, both through Matthew Lecky. Um and yeah, I don't know. It was. Yeah, I, I think it was a little bit of a story of Stuttgart's season last season where they're probably the better team, um, but away from home, they just sort of ruin, uh, I don't know. Um, but I think if you want, want to look at Australians really, really shaping uh, the course of a game, I mean, obviously, Matthew Lecky is one of them, and he did very well at the weekend, but Aaron Moy has to definitely be mentioned um, for his performance for Huddersfield, not just last week, but this week as well. It's absolutely fantastic, and obviously, he's got the winning goal. So, I'm sure, Steve, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I was trying to watch um, Lille versus uh, Con in the in Ligue 1 because I wanted to watch a bit of Bielsa, but uh, they were an absolute train wreck, wreck, so I kind of got drawn towards uh, watching watching uh, Huddersfield versus Newcastle on the other TV they had going. Uh, and, and Huddersfield were just sensational. Uh, Moy really pulls the strings together from, from deep in midfield, but he's also got that tendency to push forward, uh, interchange with those one-twos as he saw for the goal. And he's, and he's shooting from, from outside the box. is just sublime. And it has been since he was scoring 10, 15 goals in, from midfield in, in the A-League. Uh, but yeah, Huddersfield have, have looked like a really well-oiled machine. Uh, Wagner's got them them playing with uh, a lot of intensity, and it's just going to be interesting to see if they can carry that on throughout a 38-game season because he kind of has the hallmarks of one of those teams, a bit like Hertha are sometimes where they start really, really strong, all gung-ho, and then it kind of all falls apart after Christmas. Yeah, the thing for me is they're not ever going to have a lot of expected goals or be looked at as the team that dominated the game or something. But I think if they can pick their moments, you know, if they see a team that they can prepare for well, they've been scoring a lot of headed goals, which obviously aren't high percentage. But, you know, they've they've made some good signings, and it's interesting to see how newly promoted teams go about spending that money in the Premier League. A shout-out to Steve Munier, who's who's been absolutely fantastic um, in, he, in his first two games for Huddersfield in the Premier League. Uh, excellent striker, really mobile, and, and always makes excellent decisions when he's moving around in the final third. 
as well as just being a fantastic header of the ball. I think that he's uh, equal second for the most headed goals uh, in the top five leagues since the start of last season. So he's going to be one to really keep an eye on as well and will be key to Huddersfield staying up at the end of this season. What, 13, 13 million from Toulouse? Sorry, Connor. Montpellier. Yeah, Montpellier. Uh, yeah, I think interesting for me would be just the fact that obviously everyone says that you need 40 points to stay up. In reality, in the Premier League, it always tends to be a little bit less than that. And they've already got six points on the board. And, I mean, obviously both have come from games that you go into thinking those are winnable. Um, but there are going to be quite a lot more of them um, throughout the season against sort of the lower down teams. So, yeah, if they can pick their moments, then they definitely aren't going to be as bad as three teams around them. Um, however, it does just mean sort of being consistent throughout. Uh, they obviously can't go into the next game next weekend thinking, oh, we've got six points already, we're really good. But they are also the only club in Premier League history to win every single game in the league. So, um, yeah, they, let's they just probably. Have a look. They probably caught uh, both Palace and Newcastle at a really good time as well. Uh, Newcastle were lacking one or two signings at least, and they were down a couple of men after a few injuries and and John Joe Shelby's uh, red card last week. And Crystal Palace kind of weren't weren't quite up to it as well in their first game. Even though Huddersfield did get a, a little bit lucky with a, with a few uh, low xG goals that went in. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, they definitely they, want to keep an eye on. And, and then, sorry, they had a huge chance that Ben Tucky missed. Yeah, and so they'll ride their luck. But they got a, another good chance to get another three points this week. I'm pretty sure. Is it Bournemouth that they're playing? Let me just double check. No, it's not. I uh... know. Yeah. Oh, so they're playing Southampton this week. So yeah, Southampton as well have been a bit sketchy in their first opening games as well. So. Um, yeah, Huddersfield could be nine points after three games, but uh, we won't get too too much ahead of ourselves with them. Yeah, they, it's they're in the same position Leicester were when they win when they won the title. Uh, relegation tip for relegation, <laughs> you just have to take it one game at a time. You know, you can't get too far ahead of yourself. They're obviously not in the same position with the players, but you know, you have to have that kind of mentality, is what I mean. But okay, well, speaking of a team that have won their opening two games, Man United. Again, very heavily involved on the score sheet at the weekend with another 4-0 win. Um, wasn't quite the same as the game against West Ham in the sense that it wasn't quite free-flowing attacking football from the off, but there was a very, very exciting sort of last 10 minutes in which they went from 1-0 up uh, with an Eric Bailly goal, um, so obviously good mention to him, um, to winning 4-0 with um, Lukaku, Pogba and Anthony Martial um, all getting heavily involved. And Martial literally, like... He's come off the bench in both games and scored from scored in both. He's, he's uh, definitely doing everything he can to sort of get into that first eleven. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's what Jose Mourinho sees him as. Maybe Anthony Martial will be his guy who comes off the bench every game because if you have someone who's an impact sub both in the league and the Champions League, that's very valuable. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if I buy like the whole thing of oh, he's scored loads of goals off the bench. So like, do you just keep putting him off the bench or do you start hit begin to start him and see how he can do like? From the off, obviously there's an element of like Martial's pace up against like really tired legs, but I mean we've seen him play two years in, at Man United already. I think he's definitely good enough to like be uh, effective against Premier League players that aren't tired already. So I don't know. I think we we do definitely want to see a little bit more of him because it's this Man United attack is obviously very exciting, but it can be rotated. Like there's 
an element of sort of interchangeability about especially Marty Allen Rashford. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that um, plays yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, maybe a more fluid four four two with them up top or something. You know, they've they've options. They've quality players. It's funny what spending all that money for a few summers now it's it's finally starting to pay off. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you're bringing attacking players of that sort of calibre in, and I guess you have to include Pogba in this as well, because he was absolutely the centre of everything good that they did attacking on Saturday. Um, yeah, you sort of hope that that will pay off, um, even if it is a case of just throwing money at the problem until it sort of goes away. But yeah, this is the best they've looked going forward in those two games, probably since Fergie. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I think Pogba was the only player to score from outside the box week one in the Premier League, like 90 goals, so... He's, he's unique. <laughs> okay, any any more orders of business in the Premier League before we move on to our heroes and zeros? No, uh, I don't think so. That, that pretty okay. much covers it for me. All right, so we'll move on to our heroes and zeros. Uh, for me, I just wanted to, to throw in uh, Frank Kessier again, just a quick shout-out, just because he's amazing. Uh, and just AC Milan, go out and watch them this week, uh, either in the Europa League or in Serie A. But I'll throw to you for your next one, Connor. Okay, well, I think... You always have to sort of look at the derbies that are being played each each weekend for heroes because those are sort of games. If there's a, a guy who's just sort of in a run of the mill game, scored a goal for once and then obviously that's good for the the points on the board. But Nico Valdi has gone down into Gladbach folklore with his his uh, opening day winner over Cologne in the Rhine derby. Um, absolutely fantastic player. I've profiled him in Scattered Football Handbook too. Uh, so if you want to read a bit more about him or learn a bit more about him, then go and check that out. Um, but, yeah, he's absolutely fantastic and a really nice winner for Gladbach, who are definitely the best club in that game. So, um, I think yeah, I think that just about covers that. Um, another one I wanted to sort of throw a mention to was Jack Butland, whose first-half performance, at least against Arsenal, was absolutely fantastic. And I think it'll be an interesting season in the Premier League in terms of goalkeeping, because obviously... You've got Jack Butland, you've got uh, Jordan Pickford, and then you've got the returning Joe Hart at West Ham. Like those three players could all be going into the summer thinking, right, I'm England's number one. Um, I think you look at the last sort of eighteen months that Joe Hart's had, and realistically, he probably shouldn't be. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see what Pickford and Butland have to say this season. Um, obviously, we're recording this on Monday morning, um, GMT time. So. We had to see Pickford play this weekend. He was very good in the midweek against Hayuk uh, Split. Uh, he was very good the weekend before against Stoke. Um, but Jack Butland really laid down a marker with that performance against Arsenal. It was a big game. Obviously, late uh, a winner uh, for, for Stoke in the end against, uh, by, through Hesse, uh, which is a very good way for him to start his Stoke career. Um, but yeah, he, he's really laid down a goal there, Jack Butland, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good to see young goalkeepers prospering in, in England where young talent a lot of times is not given a chance to break through. But while we're on the subject, I have to mention that assist that Pickford had in the Europa League, that was insane. Yeah, and that's a really key aspect of his game is his, is his kicking. He he did, uh, got a, not an assist, but he set up an amazing uh, attack and goal for England in the under-21 uh, Euros with a with a long kick like that as well. So that's another thing to look out for. Sorry, it's something we've seen from Aderson, so they'll be matching up, I guess, Monday, uh, right right after we record this, right? Yeah, so, obviously, listeners, it's not that we don't know what happened, it's just that it hasn't happened yet. 
Um, I think it's interesting that we're talking about that strength of Pickford, and obviously that's probably one of Butland's main weaknesses is his distribution. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely an element to which like these goalkeepers are different, but also obviously both very good. Also, one of Joe Hart's weaknesses, yeah. right? You would say. He's... Well, I think Joe Hart has a lot of weaknesses. Yeah, I said one um, of. <laughs> I don't think Joe Hart's strong at anything anymore. He was woeful last season in Serie A, so I don't think he's really got anything above those two guys at this point heading to the World Cup. He's good at signing expensive yeah. or highly paying contracts. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, but I just I sort of do wonder why he signed for West Ham, who are going to be an absolute defensive head case this season when he wants to probably play in the World Cup. I mean, obviously he's conceded seven goals, not at fault for all of them. Two of them are penalties at the weekend against Southampton. But yeah, he has not had the greatest starts of the season. And yeah, you could you would expect of a, a world-class goalkeeper or an international-class goalkeeper that he'd be able to do a little bit more. So I, I really genuinely think that we'll be seeing Butland or Pickford in goal in the summer. But I hope so. I mean, it's it's the way the way the England national setup has been going lately is favouring youth. So it's possible. And Jack... Uh, we'll, we'll let you add in a couple of things about your beloved Villa who haven't had the best probably uh, 24 months, but there's some, some young players starting to come through there. Yeah, it's kind of kind of make a break at time for Villa. So four games in, finally four points as Villa recorded a win. There had just been a draw and two losses before, but Keenan Davis, he started up top. There's been a lot of issues at striker. Coach has been out. Ekbalnor has even been playing, but 19-year-old Keenan Davis started, played 87 minutes. He had an assist, uh, also hit the post. And Andre Green, he's also 19. He played on the left wing, and he scored. He's always always having chances that are near misses. All the Villa fans always cheering for him to score. Finally, he did, so great to see that. Villa maybe will push for the for that promotion, as you said, and hopefully with young players, because that's obviously going to be the route to sustainability in the Premier League. It's just not enough money. All right, and we'll move on to our zeros now. Um, I've got a really uh, prominent one that's come up in the media over the last week, and that's a lot of managers and transfer directors complaining about the fact that the, the transfer market is, is still open. There was a lot of news about a lot of Premier League clubs coming together and, and deciding that there needs to be a push for the markets be closed before the season starts. And it's really become a, an issue this year with the players sitting out or being uh, left out of squads as they try and, and push for moves. So I think in, in the next year or two, I think there's going to be a, a quite a big Europe-wide push from a lot of clubs to, especially some of the smaller ones, to, to, get, to get it sorted so that the teams is all set uh, before the start of the season. And, and even Juventus's coach, uh, Max Allegri has said that he wants it, uh, the window closed in July just so the players uh, know where they're playing before training even starts and then bring the January transfer window uh, forward towards around November time so that uh, when January signings come in, they're not just arriving. Then all of a sudden, a couple of months later, the season's finished, they don't really get a chance to make an impact so that if they come in in November, they've got a real chance to, to assert themselves at their new club. I mean, it, it makes sense, but on the other hand, just do that. You see a lot of clubs that operate by doing their business very early in the window. Then again... Or... Yeah, I think I think the defense to that, but Jack, I mean, have... I, I sort of agree, is that like there are a lot of clubs that will do their business late and they might be interested in your players. So, yeah, you have 
like the likes of Coutinho, uh, the likes of Virgil van Dijk, and then even going further down, you've got like Chris Wood, who have had their heads turned, aren't in the state to play, and that's not it's not really a reflection necessarily of uh, like the club that are the 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 owning club of the player and their transfer policy. It's a reflection of who's interested. So, um, like for example, if you look at Southampton, for example, like the fact that Virgil van Dijk wants to leave isn't a re- like. Isn't it wouldn't necessarily be different if Southampton were to be like right our business is all, all going to be done in July. I, I don't know. I think I think it's definitely you have to look at the whole sort of economy, and if you just set it up so that it is that way, then obviously it will just be that way. So I don't know. Um, I think it, it is getting it's slightly ridiculous that like players are not playing because they're sort of interested in a move somewhere else. I don't think I've noticed it being so widespread before until this year. Um, it just, yes, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a weird it, trend. It happens a lot in American football, and the NFL players are just trying to get new contracts with their current teams. It's called a holdout, and they're holding out for a new contract. But yeah, it's interesting to see this now, like the stuff with Mbappe not being played, not traveling with the squad, things like that. And you know, they're still under contract with the teams for many years. Mbappe just signed a new deal in the spring. It's v- very odd. Um, speaking of very odd, um, I've been told to handle this with. Uh, caution um but one of my zeros for the week was going to be eddie howe um because i mean i don't really rate any of them midfield but lewis cook is an absolutely fantastic young player who we've obviously talked a lot about during the uh under 20 Euro, uh under 20 world cup sorry uh, he was the captain leader legend of that team and for some reason like eddie howe would rather play like andrew sermon and harry arter who both absolute trash um so I don't understand really what's happening there. Um, it just sort of strikes me that, like, obviously they've lost someone like uh, Jack Wilshire last season to injury, and obviously he doesn't seem to be coming back right now. Maybe that will change. Um, and Lewis Cook looks like he could go in and maybe not be like an instant replacement, but like in about six months with a bit more experience, definitely be as good. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit confusing. And then our last, our last zero of the week we had was Nikolai Müller from uh, Hamburg, who ruptured his ACL, celebrating his first goal uh, since April Fool's Day, and he's going to be out until uh, I think at least March. So uh, condolences, but also a zero for the ridiculous acrobatic uh, attempt. I don't, I'm not quite sure what he was trying to do. Do you know, Connor? Well, I mean. They say acrobatic, but it looks absolutely <laughs> perfect. It's just like he's doing a little pirouette, isn't it? Like, yeah, <laughs> it was quite weird. amusing until he falls over, clutching his knee. He is. Things. It's amusing even then until you then find out he's out with seven, for seven months with an ACL. <laughs> like this, it it looks absolutely ridiculous. Um, but obviously it's a horrible injury. So hope he uh can sort of get onto that recovery very soon because he is an interesting player to watch. He is probably Hamburg's best attacking player, so it's not good for Yeah, maybe he'll he'll see the funny side in it or see some funny videos about things like that. It was his first goal in 711 minutes, so he deserved to celebrate it, but yeah, unlucky. No, I think he was just planning it so that he'd be back in March, April, around that time where Hamburg make their last-ditch rescue attempt and survive relegation on the final day. Yeah, dig dig out the great escape so yeah he'll be hopefully he'll be back if things go well so i think that's it for heroes and zeros let's move on to 
games to watch. I know you had the first leg of this game in your games to watch last week, Liverpool versus Hoffenheim. It was a good one to watch uh, last week, obviously. Yeah, and I think maybe Hoffenheim were a little bit better than they sort of acquitted themselves on the score sheet. Liverpool, obviously, is a very savvy away performance. Trent Alexander-Arnold was fantastic and scored that beautiful free kick, but it would it was maybe sort of a little bit flattering to, to Liverpool to go into the, the home game for them uh, with a 2-1 lead. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Hoffenheim do. And uh, I think I'm going to be there. So, wow. be, uh, yeah, I'm basically channeling Sol Campbell. I will be there. Uh, and look, looking forward to that quite a lot. Yeah, it was the, the worst penalty ever from Andre Kremerich. Otherwise, it probably would have been 2-2. So it's an exciting one going back to Anfield. Yeah, imagine, even if your penalty is the worst ever, imagine it being saved by Simon Mignolet. That's just pathetic. And he sh- they should liquidate it as a club for allowing that to happen. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and after that, Rosenborg Ajax. Rosenborg won 1-0 in Amsterdam. So Ajax has to go try to reverse that. Liverpool Arsenal in the Premier League. That's an important one early on in the season. Of course, Liverpool will be coming off of a uh, short rest from that European tie. In Italy, Roma Inter. That's a a big one in the, the Serie A title race. Are you interested in that, Connor? Uh, definitely. We'll sort of try and put that on. Um, trying to sort of watch a little bit more of Serie A this season because it was so interesting last year. Um, and we'll definitely be hoping for like a, a good title race because I I think maybe some of us are starting to get a little bit disillusioned with <laughs> with the Bundesliga. Maybe it'll be a bit better in that this season, but. Yeah, I think if we're wanting a guaranteed, exciting sort of race to the top, then yeah, Serie A looks to be the one this season. Yeah, a little bit of the breakup of the Juventus monopoly, but in France, still very top-heavy with PSG. But Monaco just set the record last weekend for 15 Ligue 1 wins in a row. That's a, a Ligue 1 record. They're playing Marseille next weekend. We go for 16, try to break their own record. Real Madrid taking on Valencia, and yeah, in America, the Hudson River Derby. Red Bull New York against New York City FC, so that's pretty good. Good action over there. In that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that. That is really just unfair of me. But um, yeah, I think there's there's going to be a few decent games in the ELS this weekend if you're that way inclined. Um, obviously, Houston Dynamo against Sporting Kansas City as well should be quite exciting. Yeah, uh, playoff um, picture shaping up in the West. With the yeah, and I think. Didn't you want you wanted to throw a word to Toronto who are dominating at the moment, apparently? Yeah, so there's four teams within ten points of Toronto, only four teams in all of MLS. One of them's New York City FC with forty six, Chicago Fire forty one, but Seattle Sounders and Sporting KC over in the West both have forty. So Toronto FC against Montreal Impact, who are kind of on the bottom edge of that playoff picture in the East. It's gonna be an exciting finish to the MLS season with just a couple months of, of it left. It kinda of winds down uh Right in right in October, or so keep that in the diaries, peeps. Um, well, that sounds like it's about it for the games to watch this weekend. Yeah. So if if there's games we didn't mention, uh, shout those out to us on Twitter. Uh, anything else you want to hear us talk about? I was thinking about doing maybe manager power rankings. Maybe we could do that for the the top leagues in the future. Would you guys like to to hear that or no? Let us know. Anything else you want to hear about? Of course, uh, shoot it to us on Twitter. I'm at Jack Grimsey. Connor is at Connor Garrett. Steven is at Steven Scouted. Of course, we're Scouted Football, Scouted FTBL. And coming up next is an interview with Russian Football David 
at RFN David on Twitter. David Sanson, he's talking about the Russian Premier League. It's about seven weeks into the campaign, so enjoy that. The goalie has got football pie all over his shirt. Okay, so today we're joined by David, who is at RFN underscore David on Twitter, uh, to talk a little bit about something that a lot of you out there probably uh, haven't been following or possibly won't be following even after this, but as uh, a chance for all of us to get to know a little bit more about uh, the Russian Premier League and Ru- Russian football in general. Um, so thank you for joining us, David. No problem. Good to be uh, good to be on. Um, so just why why for, uh, Russian football for you? What's what's the draw uh, for you? Because obviously uh, it's a very niche niche league. So what's the draw card for you? Yeah, um, it started. God long time ago now like seven or eight years maybe even nine years ago um obviously like most things nowadays it was through like football manager or fifa or one of those things um i think i'd heard about ruben kazam winning the league in real life and i was like who the hell are they i've never heard of them and they had this one player who was apparently scoring his goals so immediately i just went to football manager played with them started liking the league and it just went on and on as uh, as me starting to follow Ruben Kazan and then gradually just getting more into the league and yeah it, it's just become more interesting to me almost than the Premier League nowadays. Over the summer, Zenit in particular have stood out as a as a team of interest around the league. They picked up uh, Leandro Paredes from from Roma, uh, also picked up uh, Drusi from River Plate. Uh, and Mamana from Lyon, the Argentinian trio. Um, what do you make of their moves? Because uh, they've, they've been pretty poor in recent seasons. Um, and do you think that they're a good chance to, to win the league this year? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the Mancini effect. I wasn't quite expecting them to go full Argentina sort of scouting mode. Um, it's there's sort of a trend in the Russian Premier League at the moment to buy to sell, basically, so... It started off with the smaller clubs buying players from Africa or from small elites in Europe and then just basically looking to turn them over for a profit in one or two seasons. I think this is just basically a, a much higher level version of that because with the ages that these players are, you know, all in their early 20s, there's a very good chance they'll be able to turn them on for a huge profit in two or three years if they play well enough. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, aside from that, they bought in... Uh, quite a few other players with mixed experience, but those three guys in general were, you know, the eye openers. Like, especially Paredes. Like, how did they get Paredes? And, you know, and for the price, I think it was like 25 million euros. Very cheap considering his reputation and the level he was playing at in Serie. A. You know, um, Drusi obviously came directly from Argentina. It's a bit more of a gamble, and Mamana is at Leon, which is, you know, it's a decent step. But you've had players also make the reverse step from. Russia to France so it's it could be classed as a sideways step but he'll be on a lot more money and working under arguably a better manager or more reputable manager with Mancini Um, but he's he's getting the best out of him I mean there was always wondering about how good a manager is Mancini did he just buy his title with Man City but he's uh he's turned Zenit into some somewhat of a force this season so far they're looking very very dominant um, um, and the team that they're chasing, obviously, is 
Spartak, who yeah. won the league almost at a canter last season, uh, with Massimo Carrera, who uh, is part of that Juventus school of managers. Uh, but recently, Zenit beat Spartak. Was it 5-1? Mm-hmm. Huge game, that was. Um, do you think Spartak have... Uh, they've made the moves to, to regain regain control of the league, re- regain the title. Um, how do you see that club being run heading into this season um, as well? Is there any standout youth prospects that you can think of uh, that people need to keep an eye on at, at Spartak? Spartak, they've, they've had an awful start of the season. I mean, after seven games, they're eight points down from Zenit already, down in 10th position. Um, they've lost to Zenit, obviously 5-1. They've lost two Moscow derbies to CSKA 2-1 and to Lokomotiv yesterday 4-3, um, having been 2-0 up in that game as well, I should add. Um, Carrera's basically just not been able to get the players he wants in. Um, he's been sort of limited by the board in what he can do in the market. They've got the money, but they haven't sort of been able to agree a deal. They've been close to a couple of players, um, but it's just not happened for them. So they've only brought in a couple of sort of backup squad players, rotation players, and it's and it's just not been helpful for them going into this season. Um, they lost one of their key players to injury just before the Confederations Cup, and so they've had to sort of rejig their first team, and it's just, I don't know, maybe the motivation's not there that they won the league. Maybe once they get playing the Champions League regularly, um, it will sort of be there, but something's not right. I mean, Promise, who is obviously their, their star player, is, is still playing unbelievably well. But they just they just unable to grind out the wins. I, d- I don't understand why. Um, it's a very very odd situation. Hopefully they can get a couple of players in before the end of the window and uh, sort of turn that around. But youth players they haven't got that much sort of condensing for the first team. They got a couple of 23 year olds in and around it. Uh, a centre half called Jikia, um, who's in the Russian national team at the moment, arguably one of the best defenders in the league currently. Um, but yeah, I mean, in their youth team, they've got a few young players from Africa and um, and Europe. Obviously, um, scouted covered Fashion Sakara at the Under Twenty World Cup. He's playing in their second team in the second year, and they have a young Liberian called Sylvanus Nimely, who's been in and around the first team but not yet debuted. Um, but with players like Zeluish and Luis Adriano, you know, in the first team, it's going to be hard for them to break through, particularly in the next year or two. Um, I think maybe come next season they'll be loaned to other clubs in the league. And it seems that um, there's been a real uh, African pathway um, emerging uh, in the RPL where they're trying to bring in a lot of uh, these young African talents for cheap. Uh, do you see that as a trend that, that's going to be ongoing? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I wrote an article on it for our for our website earlier this year, actually looking at how the pathway from Africa directly to to Russia works. It's certainly been uh, increasing over the last couple of years. Spartak obviously were were pirate, well, sort of led the recharge earlier this year. They brought in um, three players from Africa directly, um, and it, it's it's a good market to go for. Um, players can easily be turned around for for a lot of profit. I mean, the prime example from last year was Kwasi Bue. He joined uh, Krasnodar for for nothing essentially. From he just was plucked out of nowhere and. Twelve months later, he joined Celtic for like just under three million euros. Um, so it just shows that there's, there's potential in that market if they can pick the right players. And um, yeah, 
and it, it's very low risk because there's hardly any fees involved. Um, very low wages for these players when they come over. It's definitely something that clubs are considering. There are agents placed in Africa at the moment uh, from Russia who are actively just searching for these opportunities. A lot of the time they won't go direct. They'll be sort of placed in like Armenia or Moldova or Georgia or something like that. And then eventually they'll get they'll step on into Russia. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely something that's being looked at more and more nowadays. I think this summer, I can only think of one African who's made that move, which is an Ethiopian guy who's gone to Angie Makashkala, who used to have Roberto Carlos and everything like that. Um, but he's a little older, 22, rather than being a young, promising teenager like someone like Sakala or, or Nimali at Spartak. Do you think that there's still, however, strong pathways for uh, young Russian players um, trying to find their way in the league? Uh, in the last uh, season or two, we've seen the emergence of um, Alexander Golovin at CSK. But do you think uh, that there's still that strong base of, of youth development in that league when... Uh, you see a lot of uh, strange kind of big money um, foreign signings amongst amongst the top teams. It's a it's a very uh, divisive topic. So obviously there's a foreign limit in the in the league at the moment. Uh, they can no they can only play six foreigners on the pitch at the same time, and there has to be five Russian players on the field for every team, no matter what. And since that limit was introduced, uh, oh, I don't know, ten years ago I think it was roughly. Um, the level of Russian football seems to have fallen. The Russian national team has dropped to its lowest ever ranking in FIFA. So a lot of people think that even though it's designed to ensure that Russian players and young players will play as much as possible, it's actually limited them because average Russian players who are just average are being kept in the league because they can fill up that valuable spot in a position where like, mainly it's defence. So the teams will play. You know, they'll pay big money for attackers, keep them on the field, and then they'll just keep these solid but average Russian defenders in the team um, just to fill up the Russian spots. And it's it has halted these players from coming through. A lot of Russian players are just stagnating, um, not moving to Europe like they should be. I mean, I can't remember. It, it, also, means, it also means that they get paid a lot of money. Um, yes. The wages are hugely inflated in Russia, and so that so that stops them from so, maybe moving into Europe, where they'll get pay, they're not really worth what they're getting yeah. paid in Russia. I mean, there was always rumours linking um, Alexander Kokorin to Arsenal or to a club abroad. You know, he was like the golden boy of Russian football for years, and and the same with Alan Jagoyev. But Kokorin at Zenit will be earning roughly about a hundred thousand euros a week, which no team in Europe will pay for him because he's unproven. And he's only earning that much because he's one of the best Russian players. And even for the last couple of years, he's not been fulfilling that promise. Under Mancini, he's come through as a really solid striker again, like proving what he could do. But that the limit is the reason. But next year, it's being changed, thank God. So hopefully after the World Cup, we'll start seeing some positive changes for Russian football going forward. Um, and just going back to, to Alexander Golovin, um, mm-hmm. You wrote about him, obviously, in the Scatter Football Handbook um, mm. for us. Uh, for people that haven't read your profile I'm in, on him in the book, uh, would you be able to just tell us a little bit about the player? Uh, he's been an Arsenal target over the, over the summer and just what to expect for him if he eventually makes the jump across to Europe, mainland Europe. Yeah, I mean, actually, when I, when I wrote the profile, I was actually 
not quite negative, but I was. I put some negative things in the profile because at the time he, the way he was being coached by Leonid Slutsky, who's now the whole manager, he was being used in a holding role, which he had started just as we went into Euro 2016 because of injuries to Jogoyev and uh, an older centre defensive midfielder who would have been a key player. And he just wasn't playing, it was just not playing to his strengths well enough. That's not his position. And so I, I was looking at how would he develop if he was being kept in this position. But Slutsky then left, obviously, and they brought in this new manager who had managed a couple of other Russian clubs and was renowned for sort of using his youth, using the youth players at his, at his disposition. And he's given uh, Golovin a much freer role, um, basically just roaming anywhere around the midfield. And uh, yeah, he, he has got just a bit of everything. You know, he, having played in the holding role, he can fifth forward with that position. He's good at recovering the ball. Um, but arguably, he's best at carrying the ball. He's He's got a very good burst of acceleration. Um, last year in the Premier League, he actually had the highest recorded speed of all players. Um, and his dribbling is very fluid. He's got a great eye for a pass. And, you know, at 22, he, 21, 22, he's going to be like Russia's sort of young hope going into this World Cup. Um, regarding the transfers, he, he jokingly said during a press conference that he wouldn't leave this window. But over the last week or so, he's done another interview where, you know, he said he would love to follow the path of Andrea Sharvin going to Arsenal and that having knowing that someone like Arsene Wenger has personally scouted him is a huge sort of uh, well, I can't remember what's the, a huge honour for him. And uh, you know, he was visibly happy when he was asked the question, what do you think of it? So hopefully he will be the first Russian player in a long time to make that big move to Europe. We get we see a few sort of stepping into Czech Republic or Scandinavia, but none of them have moved to the big leagues for a long time. So hopefully he can be the one. Um, and another uh, very exciting player that plies his trade in Russia is um, Sada Asmund. Can you can you tell us exactly uh, what's happened with him over over the transfer window? Because it's been a, a bit of a contentious topic, I believe. Yeah, so um, I think even I was surprised as a Ruben fan that he uh, he rejoined us earlier this summer. Um, Rostov lost their manager, Kerben Berdeyev, and Cubs subsequently lost half their first team players. A lot of their squad went to Zenit. Three or four of the players went to Zenit. Um, Berdeyev rejoined Ruben Gazan, where he managed for 11 years and won the league twice. And he's taken three Rostov players, including Asmoon, back to Rubin. Um, and that that's pretty much the only reason he's still in Russia, is Berdeyev. Um, Asmoon looks at his at him like a father. Um, Berdyev brought Asmoon to Russia when he was 17. Um, he's Turkmenistani Berdyev, but lives. But his hometown is about 10, 15 miles from where his Asmoon was born in Iran. So they share a common language. They they just have a father-son relationship in this football, and he will just basically listen to Berdyev for any advice. And the understanding is that. Dev asked him to come to Rubin and to play for a year and then to use this season and the World Cup as a platform to move into Europe next season. So although Lazio were interested and had put in some big bids of 15 to 20 million euros, Asmoon's intention was never to leave Russia this season. He wanted to have one more year in Russia, 
get you know play in familiar surroundings where he'll where Iran will play in the World Cup next season. They've already qualified, and then he'll use that as his his platform to move. Hopefully his stock doesn't fall too much. Um, he's uh, he's actually had quite a poor start to the season. He's not scored in seven games and um, has only started once or twice. But um, Ruben are losing their star striker, so hopefully he will now get more game time going into this season and playing in a familiar formation and tactic under the familiar manager. He should hopefully hit some form again. And that's the big hope, obviously. Yeah, and you touched on um, on Rostov losing a lot of mm. a lot of uh, key players and a lot of their squad. Uh, they've been an awesome story as well in the last year or two, uh, playing in the Champions League, especially last year. They, they were uh, quite uh, quite entertaining to watch, um, but are they officially dead from our radar? Well, <laughs> that was that was the thought. You know, they would be dead, but um, they're actually sat in third place in the league at the moment, having had a relatively solid start season. Um, they've bought quite well. They've bought in some uh, some decent players from around Europe to stock up their midfield and defence, and they've bought in some some solid Russian players to bolster their squad as well. Um, the manager has some experience in in the league as well, and it's it's somehow come together quite well and put in some decent performances. Um, they've kept a couple of their their more long term players, their captain, and um, they're one of their sort of I think he's thirty six year old wing back Kalachov, and he's been um, sublime this season, still roaming up and down the wing at thirty six years old. And uh, yeah, somehow they they're keeping it together. Um, I think ultimately they won't be able to compete for Europe this year. What with Zenit playing so well and Siska still looking competitive, Locomotive are, are firing on all cylinders, and then you, you've still got to add Krasnodar, Rubin, and Spartak into the equation, even though at the moment they're struggling. So I think for Rostov to keep hold of that position will be tough, but they're certainly, certainly having a good go of it so far. Um, They've got a tough test later today, I think it is, against Krasnodar, so that will be interesting to see how they fare. I think they've not played any of the big sides just yet this season, so that might be why they're, they're on a good bit of form. All right, and just to, to finish up, we've talked about Golovin, we've talked about Asmun. Uh, who else stands out as a, as a young under-23 player that we need to be keeping track of this season in Russia? Um, yeah. Who's the next big thing in Russia? I think the first one to, to look at is uh, Fyodor Chalov at CSK Moscow. Um, they they hardly done anything in the transfer window. In fact, they've done nothing. And so he's retained his place as a starting striker in their formation. Um, he had a very good end to the season last year. I think he scored five goals in his last six games. And although he didn't get his uh, Confederations Cup call-up, we thought we thought he might do, be like a wild card. Um, he's kept his place in the team this season although only scoring once so far, as um, CSK sort of have struggled to build on their build on their team. But um, if he continues to play and can hopefully can continue to score, then um, hopefully he'll uh, make his way into the Russian squad. He's, he's a nice striker. He's got very good, especially noticeable first touch. Um, he's good with both feet. Not so much in the air, but he's he's decent, got some decent pace and yeah, he, he, he's looking promising. I mean, CSK have had these kind of young strikers before who have not gone on to play so well. So hopefully he doesn't sort of turn into another one of them. But at this point, he's looking he's looking very promising. Um, and then the next place to look is Krasnodar. They've got a world-class youth academy with thousands of students and some of the best facilities in the world. And 
having had some injuries this summer, they've been able to debut three or four of their youth academy graduates for the first time. Um, bear in mind the club's only nine years old, so these players joined the academy when they were 11 or 12 and are now just coming into the team age 17 or 18. Um, there's a nice there's a young striker called Ivan Ignatiev. His record at under-21 levels insanely good. I think he's got something like 50 goals in his last 50 games or something like that. And uh, he's he's come in and scored twice this season so far as an 18-year-old. Um, he scored in his league debut and on his not in his European debut. He has scored in Europe as well uh, as they qualify for the Europa League. Um, and as well as their homegrown products, they've got they've got um, Wanderson who signed from Red Bull Salzburg. Obviously, the Red Bull scouting network is insanely good. Uh, and what I've seen of him so far is really promising. He's just so electric to watch. He's so fast and he just will take on players every opportunity. I think the dribbling stats so showed he's got more dribbles than any other player in the league by quite some distance so far. Uh, and I think he, as a 20, 21, 22 year old, he's looking very, very, very decent. And you can see why they've paid 8 million euros for him uh, at this stage from from Salzburg. Um, Rubin have a couple of young players, but Nabiulin, who was in the handbook last year, has, has stalled somewhat under the management of Javi Gracia, who uh, was sacked earlier this year. And he's just, he's just not looking as confident as he once was. Um, there's been rumours linking him to Bordeaux, which I think would be a great move for him just to, to go now and get that out, go and, go and get into Europe uh, while his career in Russia is somewhat stalling. But he has just been recalled to the national team for the first time in two years. So hopefully hopefully under under the new, if he stays under Berdeyev, he can sort of rebuild his career as a 20, I think he's just turning 22. So uh, he'll be out of scattered range soon enough. Um, but yeah, hopefully he can turn it around. All right, so we'll wrap it up on that note. Thank you very much for, no for your time, David. Is there any anything in particular that you were uh, you want to sh- give a shout out uh, before you before we finish this up? Uh, well, I'll, I'll shout out the site I, web, I write for, RussianFootballNews.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at r underscore no not underscore at Russ Football News. Um, and there, I think you shouted out my personal Twitter already. So and then you're you're at Arifin underscore David. That's me. Awesome. Thank you very much. No problem. The proof is in the pudding, and the pudding in this case. All right. So thanks again to David Sanson for that interview. You can find him on Twitter at RFN underscore David. And for all of us at Scouted Football, thank you very much for listening to Scouted Says. You can find Scouted Football on Twitter at ScoutedFTBL. I'm Jack Grimsey. Connor Garrett is at Connor Garrett. And Stephen Genovis is at Stephen Scouted. So we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Scouted Says. Goodbye.